0: It's time for another episode of the imbalance history of rock and roll and marcus as often happens we're going somewhere that we didn't expect to go today on this episode of the podcast
1: i know exciting to be able to cross the other side of the pond to talk to somebody who had a big influence in the changing of rock and roll over there this conversation a lot of fun
0: the straubs have a new album and a storied history and dave cousins is our guest on the podcast right now joining us on the Imbalance history of rock and roll dave cousins from the straubs how are you today
2: well i'm very very happy very pleased i'm delighted i've got some good news for you i'm able to tell you that our new album the magic of it all Uh, Has gone into the official UK rock charts at number seven, which is fantastic, amazing for us. It's well, it's wonderful. Uh, Up there with the Foo Fighters and uh, uh, Cavalera. I I don't know when I listened to Cavalera, I thought, my god, do we sound like that? But anyway, it's it's, there we are with this new record.
0: I'd say your fans. And maybe some of their kids have missed you because I know I was a generation one fan and listened to the records back in the seventies. Right. But my daughter who has a thing about progressive music picked up on you guys. And my son who is totally about progressive music picked up on you guys. So it's kind of neat to see that there's a new album and a new generation plugging in the magic of it all. And I love that song. And I also love ready. Are we ready? Yeah, ready. Are we ready, Dave? Are we ready?
2: Yes, I'm ready. Well, the thing is about ready is that uh, it's, it was, it's got a sort of um, old-fashioned Old Testament feel about it. And the reason for that is that the world is in turmoil. You look around, there are fires burning all over Europe and people being moved off of Ireland, to the island of Rhodos or Rhodes. And it, it's, it's terrifying to think that climate change is accelerating around us. And there's a lack of water in Africa, people are moving and migrating in droves. There's, the whole planet is on the move. And it, very little seems to be done about it. We're talking about, oh, well, let's go let's go neutral, or ze- neutral zero uh, emissions by the year 2050. Well, the rate we're going, there won't be a world to, to have it by then. Yeah.
0: I think it's accelerating faster than we expected, even though we knew it was bad.
2: Uh, it certainly is. And I think the people have push it to one side, oh, you know, don't worry, the ocean's getting warmer. But it is getting warmer. Mm-hmm. And, and how? And it's noticeable, even down here, In I live on the south coast here in England, even down here it's noticeable that the temperature is rising because you go up onto the white cliffs of Dover, and suddenly you're shrouded in mist in, in in the middle of summer. And that's because the temper of the temperature of the of the sea going up. And it's noticeable here. And that means that the water levels are going to be rising rapidly. I know you've got problems down in Florida, but we're gonna have the same sort of problems here in the UK as well.
0: Yeah, I think everybody who's on the edges of the continents is gonna have issues wherever they're in low lying areas. Speaking of uh, being in areas far from home or out around the planet, you guys made this new album in Cape Town, is that right? That's
2: right, yes. A year ago, near enough. And it all started when my partner decided she wanted to go and see her son who lives in South Africa and said, would you like to come along? And I said, sure, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I've never been to South Africa. and..." We we booked the airline tickets, and I thought, I wonder if I can get some shows. In six weeks before, I got in touch with a DJ over there called Shiloh Noon, who'd been talking, we'd been emailing one another, and said, can you fix some shows up? he came up very rapidly with four shows, and uh, he said, there's a bass player over here, the best bass player in South Africa, who'd like to play with you. And I said, oh, wow, okay. So I sent him the set list, and i got there and the first show was uh, it was astonishing There were only 60 people there but it was very intimate but sitting at one table were the four professors who'd driven about three or four hundred miles to come and see see me sing wow. singing solo songs well with you know and then the last show we did we drew 400 people in stellenbosch which is about an hour outside of cape town and, I, and people were coming afterwards and said, this is astonishing. Do you realize how important straws were in the 1970s? And I said, no. Uh, I knew that we'd sold records because A&M Records told us you're selling records in South Africa. But of course, we couldn't go because of apartheid. So when they told us that we were selling, you know, that we'd been very popular, it turned out that the records that were huge were a Grave New World, and um, in particular, and bursting at the seams. And the, they identified with that, the anti-apartheid movement identified with those songs, and they become a sort of ran, a rallying call. And then uh, the next thing that happened was that I thought, well, we'll go back again for Christmas. And... Uh, suddenly out of the blue I had a call from a documentary maker who said he wanted to make a documentary about the influence that Straubs has had around the world, in particular in South Africa so he said, would you consider recording in South Africa? And I said, sure and so the bass player, Scott Joubert, got together the best players in South Africa and we went into the studio I called Blue Weaver up and Blue had played with us on the Grave New World album, called John Ford up and said, do you want to take part in this project? And they said, oh, of course, yeah, it sounds very exciting. And so there we were, recording in South Africa, and that was in September last year.
3: See how thoughtfully he watches Birds and wild beasts are his friends Sues them with his gentle manner All day long his child he tends
0: From the dark
3: a light emerges Bright as day across the hill See the young man standing silent Soon his child grows quiet and still Raise our voices, sing together Our world is yours
4: Praise our voices sing
0: together for everyone. For everyone. Wow. Uh, If you're listening to the podcast and you're a musician, and a lot of people who listen are, this is the definition of it coming together organically. Unbelievable how that all fell into place for you to be there. And to come away with an album that's immediately getting a reaction and success has got to be incredibly gratifying, Dave.
2: It, it is. It's, it's very satisfying. But what makes it more interesting is that the album is recorded in the, the uh, Academy of Sound Engineering in Cape Town. And it's a working college for youngsters who want to get into audio engineering, whether in television, radio or stage production. And so during the recording uh, of, this, of the songs, uh, we were being filmed for the documentary. Everything that was happened in the studio was being filmed. But there were a dozen or so students sitting in the studio watching what was going on. And in fact, they were helping out because they, they helped to mic up the drum kit so that they learned how a drum kit is mic'd up. They learned where to place the guitar so it didn't spill over into the mics they learned where to put the baffles up and and then they they, during the recording the if the engineer said look can you change the mic on that snare drum they went in there and did it and so it was an educational process as well as being a recording session and this we when we broke for lunch we all sat outside in the sun and had a, a big mac and fries and and we talked to them about what music they were interested in and and they were talking to us about what sort of how we write songs because they only use computers to make music now they don't use live mics like we did and so they found it absolutely fascinating so the wonder of it all and it was a magical experience from that point of view was the fact it was an educational project as well but not not deliberate educational project it just happened to be like that
0: you know it's funny my grandson He's the same way. Everything's recorded digitally. His, all the keyboards and guitars that he plays and puts together, he, he does that all the same way. And uh, uh, nothing in a, in a studio situation. So it's a lot of DIY music happening all over the world. Right, Marcus?
1: Absolutely. And Dave, did you write any songs in the studio while the students were actually watching you put these songs together so they got to see it happen in real time as well as being able to pick your brain during
2: meals Uh, well for example the song Ready I'd written the lyrics for it uh, and I knew that I wanted to play it in my modal tuning Um, I I put my guitar in lots of different tunings and my modal tuning is uh, derived from banjo tunings believe it or not but uh, that's how it turned out. As when it was
3: real is now come to pass that which protected shatters like glass the dust of the city pours
2: But I I use a modal tuning where I turn the second string of the guitar up to C and the top and bottom strings of the guitar down to D. And it's a reverse of Daggad, if you like. But I don't know of anybody else who uses that tuning. But I also wanted to do the song in 7-8 time. Now, I couldn't sing the song in 7-8 time with those lyrics because I can't play the guitar in 7 8, because I, I know how it goes one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. So the guys in the studio, Skulk and Kevin and, and Moritz, said, Look, we're, we're used to playing 7 8, we'll just play along, then you play the guitar to it. So they started up a 7 8 feel in, in D minor, and I then started to put my chords over it. But we, we, we rehearsed the whole song with me doing that mumbling lyrics and uh, just uh, going that way. But it was only once we put the actual track down uh, that I actually went into the studio and sang the lyrics of the song over the top of it. And I realized that I had to advance the singing. So it's not in straight 4-4 four, four where you come in, you know where to come in. Uh-huh. The 7-8 time makes advances everything a beat. And so you're you're constantly having to think on your feet and move ahead with the lyrics. And that's what drives the song and makes it different to any other song that I've done.
0: I want to go back to that tuning you were talking about, the, the banjo bluegrass tuning. Does that go back to your days in the Strawberry Hill Boys, which is how you started out? Yes, it does. My
2: interest in the banjo went back of being given an album called *The New- from the Newport Folk Festival and hearing Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs playing. And I thought, oh, God, I'd love to get, a- I have to get myself a banjo. So I got a banjo and I was like, how the hell does he play as fast as that? Or- and <laughs> how does he do it? And I was very lucky because it turned out that the record player that I had at the time had a half-speed setting on it so instead of 33 and a third it went at 16 and whatever it is Mm -hmm. and so i I slowed the record down and i worked out listening to earl scruggs playing the foggy mountain breakdown worked out how his finger pattern went and once i'd worked out that pattern it uh, it it was a very interesting way in which it, it is i learned how to do it and i then learned to play that pattern. I sat there for hour after hour after hour just going through that repetitive pattern and I got into that rhythm and then I learned how to play the Foggy Mountain Breakdown from that. Then I started listening to old Appalachian music and I realized that the Appalachian banjo players were tuning the second string of their banjo up to a C. So you had the D in the open uh, first string, then C and then G and D. On the banjo for the four strings. So I thought, I wonder what that sounds like on guitar. So I tuned the first string of my guitar down to D, tuned the second string up to C, and then I left the second and third, third and fourth strings the same in G and D. Then I thought, what the hell do I do with the other strings? So, well, the fifth string seemed to work okay, but then I just tuned the sixth string down to D, and suddenly I had my modal tuning.
0: If you were ever wondering how it was done, there you go.
2: I've used it over and over and over again. Go to sleep, my babies,
4: don't you wake up. The stars will keep you company so close.
2: But then there's another tuning, I learned to do open C on the banjo as well and tuned that the guitar to open C and it became so involved in the end. There was one particular track that we recorded with Rick Wakeman back on our first ever album with Rick where in the same song I was retuned the guitar, well there were three different tunings in it all based around an open C tuning and uh, we were doing harmonies over it while I was tuning the first string up and down so nobody realized what we were doing but and so that's probably why nobody's been ever ever able to copy the song because they don't know how the hell it was played
0: <laughs> never would have thought that but yeah you definitely you just gave it away though dave
2: <laughs> no i don't mind okay i, I still you I, I even tune the banjo now to a different tuning to, and i've shown what i do now to a, a with the fist string to a professor of banjo I met at, at a folk festival in he's in Kentucky somewhere. And he had, uh, uh the Stanley brothers banjo, uh, the, the banjo. Uh, and, and I showed him what to do with the fist string. And he said, my God, nobody's ever done that before with a banjo. And so I've got a unique banjo thing that I do on that. And he's the only other person I've shown.
1: Cool.
2: On your new album, You wrote
1: a song that really stood out to me called Everybody Means Something to Someone. It was pretty heavy, it's pretty deep, but it's really relevant and it's something that people should pay attention to, especially today and in the world we live in. How did that song come together and where did the idea for the song come from?
2: I lived down by the sea in a little village called Sandgate, which is about Five miles from Dover, and walk down the street, and then I pass a pass a castle that was built by Henry VIII, believe it or not, uh, back in about sixteen hundred and something. Walking fifty yards past that, and turn left into the car park that leads down to the sea. And there's a row of fishermen's cottages on the left hand side, and on the one of the fences has been replaced with a piece of driftwood carved in the shape of, of a fish and it was an art exhibition apparently and uh, it had a little tiny plaque about the size of a CD on the wall which uh, and I looked down there I couldn't read it so I had to bend right down and, and it said everything means some, something to somebody somewhere and I thought oh, that was very interesting so I kept that in my head and walked back home and jotted it down and then I picked up my guitar, I had it in an open E-tuning now, and that's where all the strings are E and B. And I started to play that and I put in the piece about the driftwood. But the idea in that particular tuning, it's wonderful because I can simulate the sound of the waves breaking on on the on the shore.
3: When all of your belongings are stacked up on a shelf, you got time on your head sorry for yourself Maybe someone's waiting for the phone to ring Think of the surprise your call might bring Everybody means something to someone
2: And I put in, got that feeling going, and I put in a a little verse about uh, about shipwrecks. Uh, The the area is notorious for shipwrecks. There are many, many ships that were wrecked just off of the coast. Then I thought, well, I want to uh, write. uh, People don't communicate with one another anymore. Uh, They've got three ways of communicating. You can write somebody a letter, you can pick up the telephone, or you can send them a message. But we seem to have lost it now with with online communications. People don't bother anymore to write letters or pick up the phone. So I wanted to write a simple message, and that's exactly what I did with the song. If your shelves are packed up on a shelf, you're sitting on your own feeling sorry for yourself. Maybe someone's waiting for the phone to ring. Think of the surprise that call might bring. Everybody means something to someone. And I think it's very emotive to me. And when I play that track, I actually stop afterwards and I reflect, I have to reflect on it because the repeating the chorus three times at the end.
3: Everybody means something to someone. Everybody means something. To someone, everybody means something to someone.
2: It's very emotional somehow, and it leaves a profound message to me. And I hope it does with other people.
0: I suspect some people are going to get the message because they're getting the new music for whatever reason or however they're getting it. And they're going to catch that message from hearing the album.
2: I, I hope so. And The thing is, I, I don't write songs that are, I love you, babe. I, I can't do that. I, I can't just invent words like that. I jot down a little phrase from the newspaper, perhaps. I picked up, or like I did, I picked up a little phrase from a plaque on, on a wall. And they stay in my head. And gradually, they begin to evolve into songs. And it's a continual process. And effectively, what I'm doing is going back to days when there was no television and no newspapers. It was the days when there were troubadours going around the country taking singing songs about the news mm-hmm. and going from town to the town and singing them. Effectively, I'm still in, in, in that, not folk mode, but that was the way of communicating in those days. And so... Every line in the song, every word in the song is thought out very carefully and it means something. And that's what I think has been the characteristic of the band over all the years. The thing that is the continuation of the Straubs is the songs themselves. The songs are what is what makes the Straubs, not who actually played them. It's actually the songs themselves.
1: And to follow up on what you said with a phrase that you come across that sticks in your head, when that phrase rolls around in your head, is there music complementing that phrase as well?
2: Uh, it depends. Uh, usually, I'll just pick up a guitar and have that phrase in my head and start to play away. The magic of it all started out, I dropped the, the D string or the E string on the guitar down to a, an open D and just thought, oh, that sounds nice, I haven't played that for a while. And But then I started inverting the chords a bit. And I thought, oh, that sounds nice. And then there was a bit, believe it or not, I thought, God, okay, that sounds a bit like John Denver. <laughs> so I, so, so when he started writing Rocky Mountain Way, I thought, oh, well, I'll write about where I've been to. So you know, in the streets of New York City to San Francisco Bay, Toronto, Montreal, well Wishes all the way. Those who walk beside you ready should you fall. You know, there's always people I meet along the way who want to help. Which is a lovely thing.
1: Coming back with more of this fantastic conversation with Dave Cousins in just a bit.
0: You know, Arcus's summer fun winds down. You know what never stops? What? The fun and games and the great brews at Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro. Always something good on the board and always something fun happening on stage, too.
1: Yeah, Crooked Eye is very active on social media. So if you're looking for a cool place that has good beers to hang out at, check out their Facebook page. Crooked Eye Brewery has a lot of activities going on. Good beers, live music. It's all there.
0: All kinds of good entertainment on stage. And, of course, the Crooked Eye Band, second Saturday of every month, packing the house and rocking it right there in the heart of Hatboro. Always a good friend to be made at Crooked Eye Brewery. In that heightened presence on Facebook, you will find a lot of posts about what's just going up on the board and a lot of fresh board posts lately with all kinds of different stuff. Jeff's always trying something different back in the brew room. Go ahead and find out what we're talking about. It's Crooked Eye Brewery at York and Montgomery in the heart of Hapero in Pennsylvania. Tell a friend, stop on by and make a friend.
1: Swing by and make it a crooked eye.
0: Back from the break and jumping back into our talk with Dave Cousins from the Straubs. I wanted to ask you about the transition from the early days when you became the Straubs. There was a big change. It was going on here. We've been reading about what was happening in the American folk scene just as the Beatles landed. Now we know they had an impact on everybody here and over in the UK. But when did you guys realize that the progressive feeling that you were coming across in your music as the change in the band became the Straubs. Where did that come from for you and what other artists were part of your circle or influencing you back then?
2: Well, my first influence, if you like, was goes back to when Rambling Jack Elliott came over to the UK. And I I went as a schoolboy on Saturday's feet in the Troubadour Folk Club in London. And listen to him play. I got
4: the blues for my baby, let me buy the San Francisco bay. Oh, Charlotte, she's gone so far away. Didn't mean to treat her so bad. Best guy I ever have had. Said goodbye, like a mini cry. Oh, I wanna lay down and die. Never got a nickel, I ain't got a lot to die.
2: He had a, a red Dretch guitar with a triangular sound hole. Hang on, which I just happened to have something very similar here. Ah, very, very oh.
0: similar, right, Marcus? Yes. Ah. So,
2: and uh, so I, I watched his flat picking and I thought, my God, that's good. And I, I actually became very friendly with him, uh, which was a wonderful thing to do. And the stories he told were were wonderful stories. He was a good raconteur, a great guitar player. And I started to buy his records. Then Skiffle came along and and I got interested in Woody Guthrie. And, of course, uh, Jack Elliott was uh, Woody Woody Guthrie's companion and sat at his bedside alongside Bob Dylan. And so Bob Dylan learned his songs from Jack Elliott. And in the same way, I learned songs from a rambling Jack at myself. So we've got two diversions going on there. But soon after that, uh, I got a ticket to go and see Bob Dylan in his first. He'd come over and done a TV show, but he came over and did a, a concert of him doing two half hour shows. And I sat in the front row and I hadn't written a song at that time. But when he came on, he had his bloodshot, red bloodshot eyes, and he had to peer through at his harmonica to see what on earth key it was in, which one it was. But it, when he started to sing, it was absolutely riveting. And I thought, oh, he's a very powerful singer. And at the same time, suddenly Donovan appeared on television singing a song, and I thought, well, if Donovan can write songs, my God, so can I. So I started to write songs, and... I started to write in a sort of Woody Guthrie style vein, I suppose. So there, there are two different strands going, one in the UK and one in the USA, all emanating out from Woody Guthrie, if you like. And that was how I started anyway. Mm. So, But I was in my mid-twenties before I started writing songs. I hadn't written anything by then, but I read, very rapidly I started writing.
1: In the early days, I listened to a couple of your uh, earlier albums and... I hear similarities between early Pink Floyd with early Pink Floyd and some of the other progressive bands that were out at that time maybe the move as well in some of those bands but you always kept that folk feel and even gave folk a progressive edge. How were you able to do that and stay true to both folk and progressive?
2: It's a natural thing. Because the songs actually tell stories within themselves, uh, which are actual events, um, then I used to introduce the songs on stage and tell stories of what they were about. You mentioned the move. I used to love the move and Roy Wood. We used to go do lots of shows together. Uh, but we were always the odd person out or the odd group out because there we were essentially an acoustic trio until Rick Wakeman joined the band. And then that all began to change. Then we added electric bass and drums. But then the drums and bass were mixed down so that we didn't offend our folk fans. Mm. But I was also listening to people like the Bee Gees at the same time. And I, I thought they, their melodic songs were absolutely wonderful. How
0: would you find Rick Wakeman and how did he end up being part of the band?
2: First of all, we made a record with Sandy Denny uh, called All Our Own Work. I went down to the Troubadour Folk Club and I saw her singing down there, went up to her after her set and said, can I introduce myself? And she said, who are you? I said, Dave Cousins. And we were quite well known at that time, although we hadn't made a record because we were doing lots of BBC radio shows uh, because of the Strawberry Hill Boys. And I said, do you want to join a group? And she turned around and looked up and down and she said, yeah, all right.
4: Across the purple sky. All the birds are leaving But how can they know It's time for them to go Before the winter fire I will still be dreaming I have no thought of time
2: I'd I say, we were quite well-known. So we arranged to meet up the following Wednesday, went round to her house, and we literally sang all night. But by that time, I was listening to people like the Mummers and the Puppers. I put my guitar in an open D tuning for them and came up with this song, and off we went and Sandy sang it. But I was also producing radio shows for, for Danish radio, believe it or not, but in the studios at the BBC in London. And I did that from 1967 through to 1973, every Sunday, I went in the studio and produced an hour radio show. Wow. The the latest pop news from London. So I got every record that came out, every rock record that came out, I was sent. So I got. I was very familiar with what was going on, despite the fact we hadn't made a record at the time. Dave,
0: it's three DJs on a conference call, because we're both DJs. We know that feeling that it used to get when you got all the records, because you were hearing everything that was coming out Right? They had to get it in front yeah. of your ears if they wanted to get it onto your program back when that yeah. mattered. And this is just blowing my mind that we have that connection, that we're all presenters.
2: Yeah, but I was also yeah. at the same time going out and interviewing people like Cat Stevens, Keith Emerson, Captain Beefheart, all for the radio show. Wow. So I got to, got to meet up with these people wow. and 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 play music before we even started recording. Now, when we went into the first ever recording studio, it so happened that Tony Hooper, who was singing with me in the early days, lived in a, an apartment block in uh, North London, and he lived on the fourth floor. And on the ground floor there was an engineer from Decca Records uh, called Gus Dudgeon. A and Records heard the first album with Sandy Denny and said, we want to sign you to A&M Records. So, Strauss were the first band, English band, signed to A&M Records in Hollywood.
4: My love is as the rose, as wild and free as I should wish to be. Close guarded by the thorns that shield her from the hands that seek to touch the hourglass sand that runs so free. This rock that failed to hold the waves of time. My haven is the harbour of art. sheltering from the storm till the sun comes shining through.
2: And then Sandy Denny decided to leave and go to Fairport Convention. So A&M said, well, we'll send you some money. You can make a single. I phoned them and said, well, who's going to be the producer? They said, oh, you've got to go and find your own producer. So Tony Hooper went downstairs to Gus Dudgeon and said, will you produce us? He had, he'd only produced one record by then, by Ralph McTell. So <laughs> we went round and played him a few songs. He said, oh, I like those. He said, they're the two we'll do. And he said, but we need an arranger. And there's this young guy I've just met. He's just come in from New York. He's called Tony Visconti. And he's an arranger. He said, we'll use him to, for your first single. And so there we were, Gus Dutton producing and Tony Visconti doing the arrangement for our very first single. A&M heard it and said, this is absolutely wonderful. Here's the money to make uh, more albums. You know, uh, you know. so that was the beginning of our, how we started to recall for A&M. But then we got asked to do a radio show. And on the, that first album was a song called The Battle. We were an acoustic trio, two, strict, two acoustic guitars and a string bass. And they said, well, you need a, a keyboard player just to swell, fill it out a bit. And so Tony Visconti said, I've just met this young kid. He, he's about six foot three tall. I'll bring him along. So he turned up with this guy, six foot three tall, with long blonde hair. And he said, this is Rick Wakeman. And Rick did a session and played beautifully. And uh, then afterwards, we went in the pub. We exchanged uh, phone numbers. And that was about it. And then we started to make our second album. We'd, I got fed up with Gus Dudgeon because he he said your voice is crap, uh, and I, he said that's. I said, well, I can't hear the words. He said they can read them on the sleeve. So that was the end of his career with him as a producer. So then we brought in Tony Visconti. And we made a second album, We Needed Piano. So I phoned up Rick, would he play piano? Rick came in and played piano on the track. It was called The Vision of the Lady of the Lake on the Dragonfly album.
4: My haven is the harbour bar, sheltering from the storm Till the sun comes shining through again
2: And I sent Rick a copy of the album. And I put on the back of the sleeve, thanks to Rick Waitman for a piano on Vision of the Lady of the Lake. Uh, Rick phoned me up and said, thanks very much for sending me the album. That's the first time I've ever had my name on a record sleeve. <laughs> I said, would you fancy a drink? Met up with him one lunchtime. He turned up with his fiance. So we chatted away and drank a couple of pints. And then I said, uh, do you want to join the band? And he said, oh, I'd love to so i said okay well our first gig's in paris in two weeks time and he said "I oh, can't make it i said why not he said well we're getting married on that day i said oh that's a shame where are you going on honeymoon and he said we haven't got any money we can't afford to go on honeymoon i said i've got a good idea why don't you come to paris on your honeymoon with Roz? so we all piled into the car so rick wakeman's honeymoon was playing in paris at a big top with rock bands accompanying circus acts in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower. And believe it or not, but during one of Rick Wakeman's solos, when we were accompanying the High Wire Act, there was a huge cheer from the crowd, and Rick thought, oh, there's cr-. they're applauding his solo, and the fact that the High Wire Act guy had just done a forward roll on the High Wire. No, they weren't. There was a guy with a funny moustache sticking up, waving a stick at the audience. And it was Salvador Dali come on stage with us. Yeah. And Rick turned around and said, oh, is that? And I said, it's Salvador Dali. So I don't care who he is. Get him off. And he carried on playing his solo. <laughs> so, and that's how, that, <laughs> sorry. that's how Rick Wakeman joined the band.
0: Every story you're telling, one after another, is just blowing my mind, Marcus. I think you're going to explode if you don't ask your next question.
1: Oh, this is absolutely crazy! The fact that Salvador Dali came out on stage with you guys what? and played—did you ever get to talk to him after that incident? Did you ever get to meet him in person after that?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I met him in that no, we was in when we were making records. We were in the seventies. I think it was about the time of uh, Hero and Heroine, I think. Uh, We were staying at the St. Regis Hotel in New York, and I was checking in late at night to get my key, and I had a tap on my shoulder, and he said, I like your boots, because I had these pale blue boots with pink flowers on them,
0: Hmm. and it was
2: Salvador Dali. And he said, I like your boots, they're very, very good. And so I said, Mr. Dali, I said, we met in Paris at the Rock and Roll Circus. I remember it well. he said, here, have this. And he gave me a bottle of wine, which we went upstairs, drank straight away. We should have gotten <laughs> to sign it. Would have been worth a fortune.
1: What did you guys talk about in the times you got to hang together? I'm just curious what you would talk about with Salvador Dali.
2: Well, but nothing really, because he was just living in, the, in that hotel at the time. It was a very, very quick meeting. But he got to know the other guys in the band and they, you know, went to parties in his room. Wow. We we meet all sorts of people. We're
0: talking with Dave Cousins from the Straubs on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Uh, We're talking about the new album earlier. The magic of it all, the question that follows, naturally, David, is are you going to be able to get out and tour and do some shows behind that, either in UK or anywhere else?
2: Uh, No. The reason I have to say that is because I was diagnosed in January with a medical condition called MDS, M for mother, D for dog, S for sugar, which is a condition, uh, it's, it, it can turn into leukemia, but it may not turn into leukemia, but it can be controlled, but it can't be cured. If I catch an infection, I had to report straight to hospital. So touring is out of the question. So I, I can't do any more live shows. And so that is, it's a tragedy. But what is happening is that the documentary that's being made, the South Africans who played on the on the album are coming over to play. it. We're doing a potted history of the the best-known Straws songs. I, you know, it's not not a farewell to straws and we're doing the favourite songs that I want to do. Is Lemon Pie on the list? No, nope. it, that it, that's a very complicated song to sing, I'm afraid, and play. <laughs> yes, it is. And. Uh, we're, no, we're doing things like We'll do The Hangman and the Papist Because that was our first appearance on television Major appearance on Top of the Pops in the UK We'll obviously do part of the Union Lay Down, songs like that right. We'll do The River and Down by the Sea
1: Yeah, I saw the live video of you doing The Union Man on Top of the Pops The harmonies are fantastic on that song
4: Now I'm a Union Man Amazed at what I am I say what I think that the company stinks Yes, I'm a union man When we meet in the local hall I'll be voting with them all With a hell of a shout And the rise of the company's fall oh, yeah.
2: We were always known for our harmonies, and we worked hard at them. And uh, it's it's something that I enjoy doing, and that's why on the new album, John Ford came in, back again into the fold from New York. John actually lives on Long Island, so he's come flying over for it. He'll be singing a couple of the songs, and people will be quite surprised. I won't sing, sing them. John sings them better than me, so i probably so <laughs> you know, I want to to make a varied show that people will remember, uh, you know, with a five-camera shoot. So it'll it'll look good, and, and we hope that people will enjoy it.
0: Dave Cousins is our guest, and you can find out all about all the stuff we're talking about at strobsweb.co.uk. The new album, info on the new album, the magic of it all is there. It is out. Check it out. I was listening to bits of it when I found out that it was out. I found it on Spotify. Good place to check out music, which could be where some of the samplings going on with new fans.
2: Yes, we have had samples. And in fact, there's, uh, I won't give his name, but there's a member of the Wu-Tang Clan. He's already done a demo of Ready. Uh, we are ready. but Can you imagine the strolls with the Wu-Tang? Can? I'm
0: getting my head around that, Dave. I'm trying.
2: Love it. Love it. <laughs> It'll really be
0: amazing.
2: You're the first person I've told that to anyway. Wow.
0: An exclusive here on anybody. the podcast. Yeah, we only have about 10,000 listeners the first week on a new episode. So, you know, I mean, word will get out eventually. Oh, by the way, uh, a lot of them are in UK and uh, some of the other places we've been talking about, South Africa and Uh, for us it's great to be able to talk to people and get the word out all around this beautiful blue marble we all float on and uh, we're just so happy to have you on the podcast dave to be honest with you
2: it's good fun yeah
1: you were talking a little bit about the shipwreck graveyard off the coast of dover where you live is that because of the rough waters or is it because of the history of conflicts
2: No, it's because it's a a huge bay, and the waves, it gets incredibly rough at times. There are huge ships that have been wrecked out there, and huge German ships, and these were four-rigger ships, you know, that completely just turned over. It's amazing, the power of the waves. And I've written about that before. I've written Down by the Sea, which was written in Dover itself. And that was on on the album "Bursting at the Seams." I write about things I experience, and as I say that, but people identify with those, and also it it has a healing uh, touch to it as well. In in some cases, I've had people knock on the door and say, "I was in hospital, and I listened to your records while I was in hospital, and it it helped me uh, to recover." which is very flattering. But also in America in particular, we've had lots of people, couples who've come up after shows and said, we got married to one of your songs, or we walked down the aisle to one of your songs, or we had our first dance to one of your songs. And it's the last part of autumn, uh, the winter long, still waters flow, sea breezes blow. And it's very flattering to have couples come up and having spent probably the most important day of their lives, uh they've actually celebrated it with a strobe song.
0: That's just beautiful.
2: Seriously, beautiful.
0: Thanks so much for coming and spending time with us. And I hope you come back because your stories just blow me away, man.
2: <laughs> There's loads of them. I actually wrote my own autobiography uh, called Exorcising Ghosts. It's out of print now. I, I could go back to it and, and bring it up to date. It goes up to the year 2000. I'm going to. People have always said we, we we don't know how to play your songs. So the next project will be a, a, a songbook, but also getting the Wu Tang Clan uh, uh, song underway. Uh, it, uh, the demo of it is, is mind boggling because it's so. <laughs> sure. I'm sure it's going to be unbelievable.
0: Well, thanks for untangling some of the mystery about the tunings and related, and your different tonal approaches on songs because through the years i've sat there uh, an inebriated or stone state of mind a couple times and said how did they do benedictus how did they do round and round where did this come from where's that come?" and just getting a, a little bit of the story behind a lot of what goes on in your world dave it's kind of a, a blast for me man so thanks for coming on you know? next
2: time i'll take you through it and i'll put the guitar in different tunings and show you what i do We'd love to see that.
1: We would love to see that. One final question before we wrap it up. Do you remember the first album you bought with your own money or the first 45 or the first record you bought with your own money or the first one you received as a
2: gift? Uh, the, the record that made the most impression on me, uh, believe it or not, was a, a, a Lead Belly record. Uh, it was on vinyl. It was a 78 on vinyl, the Backwater Blues. And I had to order it, and I I, I went from school, cycled there to the shop, bought it, took it home on the back of the bike, and the bloody thing cracked. I still played that over and over again. But that was the first record, and that meant so much to me, buying that record.
0: And I hope, Marcus, that time and nature allows us to visit again with David. He is just an incredible guy. And, you know, I kind of had a hint of that from the 70s Straub's exposure. But what an incredible man with great stories and a penchant for telling them, not just in song. Uh, Like I said, I think he should have a podcast.
1: So good. Very good. He's got so many amazing stories, and he hinted at a few other stories on top of what we spoke about today so i look forward to him coming back to chat with us and just share stories of the music of the time of the energy of all of that that was happening right before him during and after exciting
0: if you want to plug in and talk about the new album or your history with the Straubs, you can do that at imbalancehistory@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Find us on social medias. We're stacked on all of them. And, of course, our website has all the episodes, imbalancehistory.com. A lot of fun talking with Dave Cousins from the Straubs. Signing off for now from the Dark Doc Media Studios, I'm Ray Koob. I'm Marcus Goldman and this is The Imbalanced History
1: of Rock and Roll.
4: It's
5: NFL Draft Season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.